Welcome to Champions and Challengers, discussions on the legal edge of fintech, hosted by Greg Listini and other attorneys from Bricker Graydon, a full-service law firm with more than 200 attorneys with expertise in financial services, insurance, and insurance tech law, and clients across the country, where we feature CEOs, founders, legal advisors, and industry professionals exploring business, technology, regulatory trends, and legal trends that are reshaping the financial services industry. Welcome to Champions and Challengers, a FinTech legal review. I'm Jeff Knight, an attorney practicing in the Bricker and Eckler's education law, privacy, and data protection, as well as intellectual property groups. Um, in those roles, I devote a significant part of my practice to exploring the intersection of technology and law particularly as it relates to fast emerging technologies on campus and in business, which is why I'm so pleased to welcome our guest to this month's podcast. Um, today, we're honored to be joined by Doug Davidson, Director of Information Risk Management and Cybersecurity at GBQ Partners. Uh, prior to GBQ, uh, Doug was President and CEO of an information security solutions firm. We're also pleased to be joined by one of my esteemed colleagues here at Bricker and Eckler and a regular host of this podcast, Greg Listini. Uh, welcome to you both, Doug and Greg. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. Great to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. Um, Doug, before we get into you know, what we wanted to chat about today in terms of substance, um, I was hoping you could describe for the podcast listeners sort of what GBQ is um, what your role is there and sort of how your team supports you. GBQ is now one of the top 100 accounting firms in the, the country. We have been in existence now for 70 years. As you can imagine, public accounting firms, most of what we are to our clients from a service perspective, are core tax and audit practice um, services. So there's a lot of people around us right now that are real busy um, working their way through that busy season. But GBQ is more than that. Uh, we believe in empowering the growth of the community. Um, we're very heavily involved in, in the community. Um, I don't think most people in the business world here in Columbus are um, uh, surprised at the brand. And part of that um, empowerment includes looking at other topics that our clients that rely on those core practices want to have help with. And there's a whole series of specialty practices here one of which is ours, um, the technology solutions services practice that I lead um, to help clients empower their own growth in a bunch of different ways beyond just the, the financial services that we provide. That's awesome, Doug. Uh, empowering growth. I think that's probably a theme we'll, we'll circle back to a, a number of times um, throughout the, the, the discussion. But can you tell us a little bit about you know, your move from where you were previously to GBQ and, and sort of what motivates you or what you enjoy the most in the world that you currently have? Well, there's two answers to the question is why am I here? One um, <laughs> of the reasons that you can't, we're audio here, so you can't see the gray in the beard. Um, the opportunity to, to um, coming in, you know, with a decade or whatever left in my career to join a place like GBQ um, was a way to to move on from having my own firm. Uh, so that, that that was the personal reason. The professional reason is it's a rock star place. There's great people. It, it, every entrepreneur wants to be surrounded by other people that are um, uh, innovative, um, client focused. And there's just a ton of people here that are wonderful to work with. 
beyond the topic that we that we help firms address. And then uh, a public accounting firm is kind of uniquely positioned uh, to be a platform to provide the services we provide. Um, cybersecurity for us really is more of a risk practice. So there's compliance where we follow in the rules that I know you guys work with a lot, the bits and bytes piece, which is cybersecurity. And you're really building trust, um, helping clients build trust at a business level while you're working on all the technical details. And then we're also positioned to provide strategy services. So are we doing the right things as a business with technology? Is technology supporting us? And that was a, a, a in my technology firm, I was working with technology providers or, or managers at firms. And now I'm working with owners and investors. And it's just a different conversation. And Jeff, you know, I can, I can attest to GBQ's um, sort, sort of the feeling of the firm. And, and this is nothing against any other accounting firm, but it just, it's a different feeling and it's, it, it's more entrepreneurial, more um, forward looking, I, I think, than a lot of other ones from my experience and knowing Doug and, and being involved with GBQ over the years. So kudos. Yeah. And, and I, I agree, Doug, you and I have had the, had the pleasure of um, talking a, a number of times. And I actually remember Doug, the first time I think I emailed you, it was a little after 5 PM on, I think it was a Thursday about a, a client that had a data incident. And I think within about six minutes from your car, you called. And I think we immediately started to triage that for the client. And I don't think we've ever looked back since. Um, so that, uh, so kudos on that as well. Um, Doug, one of the things, and I think you and I and, and others on your team have talked about a little bit is um, sort of how GBQ fits into sort of, you know, fill in the blank, right? Cybersecurity, risk management. And one of the things I'm wondering is sort of, can you tell us how GBQ fits into that blended space between cybersecurity and fintech, um, sort of how you're peering around those corners and how you're empowering growth and sort of looking at other topics for your for your clients, um, specifically as they relate to cybersecurity and, and the fintech space? Well, from a cybersecurity perspective, we provide cyber services to a number of verticals. We have a credit union practice that's very well known. Um, we have clients in a number of industries, uh, call centers, healthcare, uh, retail, for that matter, that are looking at new ways. You know, fine tech is the buzzword, but new ways to make and receive payments or make investments. Um, so we, you know, we're doing the cyber, the cyber thing for them. We also, from an attestation perspective, have a very vastly growing SOC practice. Um, so firms that need to be um, protected and handle cyber, can talk to our services people, but we also have CPAs that can come out and attest um, for the, the, the sake of stakeholders that firms are doing the right thing. And and that's a, a SOC report um, that, that allows for an opinion um, signed by a, a CPA to help build that trust. Uh, so those are two ways just from a direct standpoint. And then, you know, firms are trying to work through this uh, process and you know sometimes this innovative technology I want to move real fast everybody else is moving real fast but am I managing the risks and so it goes beyond just cyber when I look at a fine tech investment whether I'm a credit union or some other business and you know, we um, just did a uh, post-merger due diligence project for a fine tech acquisition for a firm down in Houston and they moved so fast there were vulnerabilities and weaknesses that were found um, the driver was how fast business is moving, but you have to look at other risks. Do we have enough staff to 
to sustain the viability of that entity? Do we have uh, um, not just cybersecurity pieces, but the process pieces, the compliance elements? Uh, the, we move to the cloud and there's certain risks there. So we look at a variety of digital risks beyond cyber and GBQ is positioned to help with that as well. And, and that's that's such an interesting point, right? The the sort of how do you what's your approach? What's your team's approach to to not being, you know, because I know from working with your team that you're not. So how do you manage the the sort of speed of you know technology and and where clients want to go with risk management, which can often feel like grinding gears a little bit. What what's sort of what's been your you know, experience in terms of how you can provide sound counsel um, and advice when we want to move, move, move? Well, I think it's simply slowing down and looking at the cost. We've had organizations, call centers that want to jump into the HIPAA space. We actually had a startup organization, probably that's a better story, wanted to jump into the HIPAA space. And we said, breaks, it's going to cost this much to beat that compliance standpoint. How many clients are we talking about? And it was one. And they were going to spend probably... 20 times what their client revenue was going to be on that topic. So we put the brakes, they put the brakes on, redirected, and they plan to go back to HIPAA on a phase two. Sometimes it's just talking about the, the financial side of it. And other times it's illuminating the risk. A lot of people say, I don't want anything bad to happen from a cybersecurity perspective. How much money do you spend on cybersecurity? Relatively little, nothing's ever happened before. That firm has an enormously high risk tolerance. And so talking to firms about what their risk tolerance is, I don't want anything to happen. You need to spend um, more than you might want to. And so again, dialing into the monetary investment, but it starts with uh, that, are you comfortable with the risk you've taken? And business leaders don't think about that. They don't spend any money. They've got high risk tolerance. They'll tell you they don't. And you've got to talk about it from that standpoint. Yeah, it's sort of making risk practical, right? Because yes, risk yeah. is going to look different depending on where you sit. Um, this, I think, dovetails into to where I was thinking going next in terms of either the, the concerns and maybe sticking with the idea, because I think more of the clients that we're seeing in this space, um, in the financial technology space, in that sort of moving to what's next, what, what keeps you up at night or what keeps your clients up at night with respect to cybersecurity? Is it a breach? Is it a ransomware event? Or is it as simple as um, how do we get good cyber insurance to cover how much risk we're taking on? Or is it all of the above? Well, I will say it's all of the above at some level. Most clients are concerned about ransomware. They're concerned about payment fraud in a variety of, of ways. They're worried about their people. What one client I have um, long ago said, just help me make sure that my people don't do dumb stuff. <laughs> so business email compromise and other forms of, of payment fraud, ransomware, um, don't do dumb stuff. And then the cyber insurance piece has really been interesting because they actually have more teeth. The carriers have more teeth than the regulators right now, and they're driving people hard. So I think from a business standpoint, that's what the, those four things are what business people worry about the most. I would add to that list, they should be worried about trust because we're seeing even firms that don't have confidential information being concerned about their supply chain's resiliency. Hmm. So if I need parts for a car or food for a particular food item or on the grocery store step shelves, 
we've begun to do risk assessments for those kind of firms so that that third party risk trust is an issue. That's what I think business people are worried about. What we're worried about is that most organizations don't know what they have. The starting point 10 years ago when somebody came and did a had us do an assessment was the firewall that presented the organization to the outside world, any IP addresses, website, email that were also presented to the outside world, that internal network, and it was it. And now we have firms that have moved to the cloud. They're moving to a lot of um, processes, out, process providers, or um, software products that are also in the cloud. And what we call that attack surface is so much bigger than people realize. Um, there's shadow IT where I people are trying to, good people are trying to get work done and bouncing around that, what they see is the department of no to stand up their own applications. And so firms, digital footprint or the tax surface um, to use either one of those jargon terms is much larger than they expect. So that 10 year, that assessment 10 years ago um, might've been $10,000 and now it's $45,000 because they have stuff in Azure, stuff in Amazon. Um, they have uh, critical applications that somebody else are managed for them. Their website's hosted somewhere else. They have Microsoft 365 and their data is everywhere. They don't know it. Doug, is it a completely different bag of cats when you have a client with personally identifiable information and ones that you know make widgets say and don't have that, that much or is it all very similar? Two years ago, it was very different. The couple things that have happened, the SEC put guidance out. Um, I believe it was, you know, that pandemic that I, yeah, I don't use I don't use that <laughs> that that time frame there. So was, I think it was three years ago, it was pre-pandemic. There was guidance out that said that public firms, if they had an incident, a cyber incident that was material and lost, then they would have to report it. Well, prior to that, the manufacturing line would go down. It was technical difficulties. Yeah. Right. And now, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars are lost as those lines sit unused, they have to report. Yeah. So that's changed. And then the JBS, the meatpacking plant and Colonial Pipeline, as well as an explosion of ransomware um, during the period of the pandemic, we're beginning to see firms that are not holding personally identifiable information or protected personal information be held to the same standards by their supply chain. Because if I have um, a particular, we have one client in California that that is the largest producer of this. They grow it, they process it, they put it in cans, they pro uh, provide it in other fashions to restaurants and grocery stores. And after JBS, they started getting vendor risk assessments, just like a hospital might send out to their providers for HIPAA. Yeah. So it's it's beginning to be, and I've said it a couple times, a trust game and a risk game more than a compliance game. And the Three years ago, it was a compliance game. People worried about the alphabet soup, not so much anymore, yeah. or at least the widget versus the uh, alphabet soup um, yeah. firm. That not cares about the same now. So one of the things that you said really sort of resonated uh, a, a minute or so ago about working with clients who don't know what they have. And I can't tell you how often I'm running into the trying to overlay the alphabet soup or trying to develop a risk tolerance. What are your thoughts on if you don't know what you have, how big of a variable in the equation is that? And how do you work around that uh, in your, in sort of in your capacity? 
So we're we're a big framework shop. We believe that most organizations should select a framework, which is um, for those football fans in Columbus, Ohio, <laughs> a playbook that says this is the playbook I'm going to follow to properly secure my organization. And if you look at the two or three, and I won't go there because it's alphabet soup that gets boring, but the two or three leading frameworks all begin with asset management controls. So where's my stuff? Where's my stuff? Have I valued it? Do I inventory it? Do I catalog it? Do I track it? And so when we step into a firm that um, hires us to do an assessment, many times the entire attack surface is not identified in our scope, but we find it as we address those asset management inventory kinds of controls. So how is that scalable? Is that, that, that process to me is, is sort of, you know, the, the, the gold standard process, but is that scalable for your micro and small business clients? It's scalable where it, where it gets unscalable for the small and micro clients and even the mid market is that uh, huge list of kind of off the, off the general ledger applications that people use, you know, freemium phone apps. Um, you can, uh, HubSpot's a good example. We use that as our CRM. And for years, it was a freemium. We didn't pay for it. So it didn't, nobody was tracking it from that standpoint. Um, so that becomes difficult to get your arms around. Um, it's it's uh, important to track the information, you know, I guess to make it scalable is if you at least know where your protected information and your critical processes are. If you if you are um, not able to understand those things, you're running, you're flying your your business plane with a lot of risk. Uh, the bigger companies, I mean, I'm glad we're in the mid market, not the enterprise space, because I think the really large companies have an enormous problem with that attack surface that the mid market doesn't. And small firms, having been at a small business myself. Uh, you don't have time for that. So the scalability is more of a time thing. But if you can't find all your assets, at least know where the critical data and the critical processes that you run your firm on are. And I think there's a, we've been focusing mostly on security, but there's a privacy dovetail there, right? Because if you are, if you're subject to one of the um, growing patches on the quilt of uh, data privacy laws, comprehensive state level, you're going to have to know what when people make data subject access requests, you're going to have to know where to find um, the information that you're required to, you know, find. And there's the connection to the privacy policy, and are you operationalizing the privacy policy? And and then you know, I I, I tend to bump into still a handful of folks who, you know, very quickly get um, you know kind of overwhelmed by that. I think the privacy issue is underdone. Cybersecurity is a little bit easier or has been easier because it was more about systems and privacy is about that, those individual data points that are you know, potentially everywhere. Um, I, I think from a pedestrian standpoint, um, the two are put together, you know, the, the average business person thinks privacy and security are the same thing. And you need security to protect the data, but how you handle it and how you, uh, inform people of what of what it's being used for. Those are all topics for privacy. I don't think we handle privacy very well in the mid-market um, because of the, there's a misunderstanding there. Yeah, that's that's probably a whole 
that's a whole separate discussion. I think that's a whole other podcast. Yeah, I, I think the the privacy issues can at once be very practical, but they can be also very academic in the sense that um, you know there's different definitions. There's you know we, you've got GDPR in California, and um, you know these moving targets. I, I in a way I really feel for those mid market and below sort of um, small micro and, and and even into the mid market clients that have to deal with this ever shifting privacy landscape um, because you can you can really see sort of how that impacts things like marketing and ad tech and and where they want to be going but oh wait we're going to bump into something that's going to have a whole layer of potential ramifications that we didn't we didn't consider and we certainly didn't budget for and for the entrepreneurial class the startup community it's a barrier to entry it's difficult to get that ticket to ride um, if you don't meet a lot of the compliance requirements so how you ramp your firm the first dollar you want to spend is on features and functions. And the second dollar is sales. The last thing you want to do is spend a lot of money on compliance, but sometimes that compliance uh, issue because that, that ticket to ride in that market, that is a feature or function. And it, it's a very high barrier sometimes for, for new ideas to come to market. Yeah. So without making that hard pivot back to security, I, I did want to, because that's, that's sort of how, I've had the the privilege of working with with GBQ and your team. Um, looking back at if if something goes wrong, and certainly your group is well positioned to help the help something not go wrong. But if something does, take us through those first sort of five, ten, fifteen, up to sixty minutes in a in an incident. Help a small or medium sized business. What what help them prioritize? What are they doing first? Who are they calling first? What ducks do they hopefully have in a row by the time they, they get to your desk? The very first thing they should do if they're doing things right is open up their printed and readily available incident <laughs> response, disaster recovery, or business continuity plan and look at the name of the attorney and the cyber firm that they're going to bring into the loop or maybe their cyber carrier because they may have some rules they have to follow. And they run from that playbook from the get-go. If they're asking that question in a conference room, there's going to be so much dwell time in that, that event that it's going to be a big mess. And if they start to try to fix it themselves, they're probably going to also create a big mess. So the only answer to that question is to have a plan available, which means it's been, it's been written and thought through and vetted. The attorney knows the phone call might happen. The cyber partner knows the phone call might happen. And the, the plan is laid well in advance. You don't have the plan. Um, you want to do containment first. And that's probably calling that technology company before the attorney and then bringing an attorney in um, because the, the, again, that dwell time, the amount of time that that, that incident is active um, is going to increase the cost of response tremendously. But by containing, I don't mean going and trying to figure it out. I mean, shutting systems down, unplugging them, getting the company off the internet, um, even if it doesn't make any sense because of, of um, you know, best practice says the attorney first, so everything's under privilege. But uh, that first quick response to contain it is extremely important. I would rather you, have written plans. <laughs> and you snuck something in there, and I think it's important. You put the emphasis on it, but I think it's, it's worth going back to, even if it's a little pedantic. It's a printed plan, right? And sort of explain yes. why that. Explain why <laughs> that's so important. I've used I, two words. Yep. Um, 
you know, first off, it's the first time in my life I've been in a conference room with two attorneys. Unfortunately, this isn't a deposition. This is a conversation. We're all friends. Very different yeah. thing. But but as attorneys will, they pick up on the specific, the specificity of the words. And yes, printed and available. So it needs to be printed. And if it's in your backpack or the trunk of your car, or maybe you need multiple copies, um, you need to be able to pull it out. We do a lot of tabletop testing. And I can't tell you how many times a tabletop is that role play through a bad thing. I can't tell you how many times in our, our tabletop testing that we say, here's what's going on. What do you do? And people say, we're going to go to the SharePoint server or the exchange server and pull out the plan. I was like, well, that was the system that was ransomware. So it needs to be available. And if it's printed, it's written and formal. Now, you talked a little bit about, um, you know, spending those dollars early on uh, for cyber and compliance purposes, but, you know, pre-breach with this plan, how how can someone, you know, how can a company really work through what they need to do and how do you guys help them with that? Um, so there's, well, there's a, a number of different ways. First off, if they don't have a written plan, they don't tabletop test, they're probably not accessing the better insurance carriers in the cyber liability space today. Um, that's, that's another conversation, but that's the first step. The the company would call a company would call us and say we need to have a and it's there's three things there's business continuity which is more about viability and continuing business operations there's disaster recovery which is more about individual systems and there's incident response which is more about um, responding to specific uh, security events mid market micro firms and people in between they're all kind of one and the same for big companies they may have multiple plans for every location so. You want to have, regardless of what the title is, you want to have a written plan. Somebody comes to us and doesn't, we can write it for them. Um, we can coach them through it in a workshop fashion where we teach them the principles, how to do a business impact assessment, how to decide how to rank the issues that, that might have been identified because you can't cover everything in a plan. Um, the mechanics of what needs to happen in answer to Jeff's question, you know, in the few first few moments, day three, when you start to notify uh, customers or stakeholders, day 12, when, you know, that 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 uh, progression of events, that needs to be laid out. We can help that, uh, help clients through that in a workshop fashion. It's better that way because they're writing part of it. Um, we have had a few clients that have written their plans on their own and will edit. Um, in fact, uh, Jeff, we've actually got one together that we've both edited, one from legal and one from operational perspective, as you know. So those are three ways we can help with the plan. And then we can test it. The best practice is those plans are tested every year, which again, as you put all the principals, all the stakeholders in a room together, um, HR, uh, communications, marketing, um, legal. If you if you have a you know counsel inside, they need to be at the table. If you've got a a law firm that you're working with and they're on your plan, they need to be at the table. Sometimes the insurance carriers will participate and uh, roll through what if, because you'll find those uh, uh, faults in the plan through the role play that you're going to find out in the middle of an event if you don't pre-plan it. And again, some carriers require not just a written formal plan, but also the tabletop test as a part of your annual uh, security practice, or really not just security risk management practice.
So one of the things I'm, I'm wondering, Doug, is as you're working with your clients, as you're meeting new clients and working with old clients, and, and maybe there's a little bit of a COVID tie-in to this question, but uh, you'd mentioned earlier sort of the attack surface. And what I'm wondering is, as we're sitting here in 2023, for, for your clients and for um, potential clients, where should they be looking to evaluate just how large their their you know potential threat service is it because they're working from home and there might be um you know a smart home device there is it um endpoints you know multi you know the the increase in number of endpoints where as as folks are sort of as the workforce is becoming more fungible and clients are peering around corners what, how is that sort of attack surface growing and how does that piggyback into all of this well i think the attack surface you hit on a couple of things there's more work from home there's more hybrid so that's an issue there's more remote workforce in the sense that, um, you know, while we're onshoring manufacturing, we're offshoring a lot of processes. Um, and so th that's an expansion, not just of endpoints and remote workers, but you're talking about new countries and, and new regulations, potentially. Um, a lot of that, a lot of that movement home was uh, on the foundation of firms moving to the cloud. We generally believe that a, a properly managed cloud environment that's that's properly governed by, by the buyer is more secure than a, a totally premises-based um, environment today. But you need to understand what what uh, the risks are of that cloud environment and manage them. So a lot of firms have moved to 365. They buy the lighter E3 license instead of E5. They don't have full security capabilities they push to Azure, they they push to Amazon. Um, they uh, now have a big attack surface to support those work at home, work from home people. And then a lot of the next generation applications that allow us to tie free application in, into Microsoft Teams or stand up freemiums like HubSpot that I mentioned earlier, that, that means there's attack surface outside of the formal management of, of IT as opposed to um, the the umbrella that that needs to cover it, which is where the information goes. I think this is what you were getting to here, Doug. But technology, you know, is sort of evolving at a <laughs> almost incomprehensible rate. Yes, yes. And so, how does that help the stuff that you're doing, or that you advise clients to do? And how can the technology advancement hurt? from a privacy and cyber security. Well, from a helps perspective, the, the tools that we first used when when we first started the the company that that I built that we brought to GBQ. Yeah. Um there wasn't a whole lot of tech and now there's a, you know how do I prioritize vulnerabilities? Well, I layer in the most likely threats. I can do that now with tools. Um I can use uh, artificial intelligence to help rank threats and determine whether something's really got to be looked at or not. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of great tools out there now. Um, we're probably two or three generations into governance risk compliance uh, management tools. And some of them are finally getting to the point of being outstanding instead of like big, bad ERP systems. Yeah. So there's a lot of technology to help. Um, technology is not the silver bullet though, because we've gone in and seen in, in investigations or in assessments firms that are pretty buttoned up from a technical perspective that I could probably talk their accounting firm into sending money to my Turkish bank at right. any point in time. So they become too reliant on yeah, the technology. The technology. Right. So that's an issue. So, but, but there's a lot of good technology tools, but it's not the, a, never be a silver bullet. 
that from an attack surface perspective, you know, we're we're short from a labor market. And I think everything's going to start from that standpoint. So we're we're implementing new processes and new technologies to automate work that people we don't have the people to do the work. And that's increasing attack surface as well as the the hybrid, which I don't think that ever truly goes away for at least some businesses. You can't, you know, um, fry wings at home for your restaurant customers. So there's a lot of businesses that don't, hybrid's never going to work. But for those business models that do work, hybrid's a thing. Um, all those, that cloud support is a thing. And that's going to continue as stuff, as, as technology evolves. Um, and then our choices. You know, five years ago, we didn't have, the technology we have in cars, we didn't have the, the IoT and Internet of Things. Every business that we do an assessment for, we now find Internet of Things uh, devices on them. And sometimes they don't know they're there. Right. And then we're, you know, this whole AI thing, um, you know, chat GPT is going to replace all the attorneys and cybersecurity experts. Right. No, not really. <laughs> but, um, you know, there's inherent risks with using something that uh, people see as, you know, magic. And it may not be accurate. And so I think there's an adoption of technology. Sometimes it happens too quickly, which brings risks to the table as well. The next time we do this, Doug, I think we should have chat GPT just do the whole script for us and see if it, see if it sticks the landing. Yeah, there you go. I, 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 like 90%, it'll mess some, it'll mess something up. Hey, Jeff, hold on one second, Jimmy, just to take a, a, a beat here. Are you good, Jeff, to finish out? Cause we're, I've I got one, I was going to ask one more question and then I was going to just gently duck out. Okay. okay. All right, cool. So Doug, as, we, as, we, as we've been sitting here, uh, I actually got a, a pop-up alert and it led me to uh, another sort of question. It, there's an interconnectedness to all of it. And I think you'll see where I'm going, but how do clients navigate not their own issues, but because your clients are going to be so connected with third parties, vendors, when issues happen with third parties and vendors and clients feel as if they're a little in the dark, how, wh what's the best way forward? Um, do they still reach out to counsel? Do they still reach out to um, GBQ to say, hey, I just got this weird email from, from uh, a vendor of ours that says, um, you know, our systems have been taken offline. What's the best approach for dealing with third-party incidents when you feel a little in the dark? I would bring the same game um, as the something bad happens at home, something bad happens um, in, in your ecosystem. You want to bring an attorney and a cyber specialist to the mix. We just addressed one about a month ago of a vital records uh, software as a service solution was ransomware. And our client got that same alert that said, we'll be offline for a while. And um, it was, a, a it, it took our expertise to realize that the firm had not called their cyber carrier. There was not an attorney involved. They did a self-investigation, um, had the client accepted on face value, the responses there wasn't that nuance to understand. And so the client, it, fortunately, there wasn't a breach event. The, there was no data loss because it was a ransomware attack on already encrypted data. So just nobody could use it. But it did introduce a huge risk because of the sloppiness of the response. And so our client is moving to a new provider in a reasoned, managed fashion instead of accepting what 
uh, we think is an organization that uh, maybe can't can't handle uh, some of the responsibilities of having that kind of data. So yeah, I, I think it's critical, at least at the top end of your vendors, and you ought to have an idea of which vendors are the most critical. But if it hap if your high or most critical vendors in a ranking system um, have have a letter like that, you would need to bring an expert to the table to, uh, to understand. And this client happened to bring us in. Um, they had an attorney. We said, bring the attorney in. We worked in under privilege with the attorney, and both of us had to answer the questions. What happened? And then was what happened reportable? That's really interesting. So looking forward, Doug, like what are there new techn technological vulnerabilities to look out for in 2023? I know there's always new threats, always new um you know, bugs out there, but what are you keeping an eye on? The, I, you know, the thing is, the joke is that, you know, we build a 10 foot wall and the hackers build an 11 foot ladder. <laughs> but the, the issue is if you look at the top, the top attacks from the FBI, it's ransomware and business email compromise. And it's been that way for, I'll, I'll be wrong if I guess the number of years, but five plus years. If you look at the Verizon data breach investigations report, a lot of the same attacks uh, the, the same threats are impacting the same industries year over year. So it's trying to get a, to me, it's not so much what's new. It's we're still trying to work our, ourselves into getting our arms around what's old and working because all of that hacking is a criminal enterprise. People are making money doing right. it. And if we can shut them down and they're not making money, then, then, then the problem is going to shift. There are new attack surfaces. We're seeing, you know, the traditional business email compromise when somebody gets into your email system and is able to get in between transactions and misdirect funds, they're bringing that on the phone now. Yeah. Um, let's come back to snail mail. So it's, it's new techniques on the part of the threat actors, not so much new technology, though everything we said earlier about the expanding attack surface yeah. gives them more to hook into. Well, kind of going along with that, I know you're not a lawyer, and that's one of the reasons I like you, Doug. Um, but are there, you know, in your experience, do you think there are laws or regulations that could be either changed or um, enforced differently that would make your job easier? It's a it's a nightmare question for a small government guy. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I think there's a, there's laws on the books that people don't follow because they're not truly regulated. Yeah. You know, the, and, and, and then there's a lot of noise in the market. You talk to a lot of people that talk about, oh, you better be HIPAA compliant or you get fined. Been very relatively few fines. It's the right. attorneys that are coming in after a reported breach that are suing, that are really putting the teeth in that regulation. Yeah. Um, not a cyber issue, but a digital risk issue. ADA compliance, same thing. It's attorneys that are, um, it, it, and we can go about what those attorneys are like, but trying to find, <laughs> trying to find um, sites that aren't compliant, and then creating an event that allows for a class action to be developed. Right. right. Um, so, you know, the regulators, to me, in my mind, aren't doing the right thing. And then there's this huge patchwork. Um, the last I looked at it, there are over a thousand global. Um, security and privacy laws. And so I'm not not being regulated properly. It's confusing. And then um, it just locks people up and they don't do anything. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the, in my mind, it's almost the same as written contracts where, you know, some some industries have so many consumer protections written in 
you know, you get your rental car, you don't read anything, right? right. Because there's so much there. And so does it, is it really doing what they're intending for yeah. it to do? It, and, it's, and so it's, it's regulators need to regulate and it needs to be done fairly and in a fashion that, that kind of removes some of this difficulty of the patchwork. But right now it's, I, I think with clients, it's really, are you properly managing your legal risk because you don't want to expose yourself. If you're not compliant, you're going to, um, are you, uh, properly meeting your client's expectations and a business to business environment? That's going to be, are you meeting the vendor risk management, uh, requirements or obligations in order to build trust there with consumers is understanding what the consumers want and then meeting the mark there. And that's a little bit looser. Yeah. Um, and, and so those are the areas that, that we see. And then finally, we've already said it, the carriers, they know they know what needs to be done to protect firms. And so they're not going to write your policy unless you're doing it. That's right. Those are the three drivers that are driving harder than regulators today. Yeah. So what's next for GBQ or maybe your group specifically, both? Well, I think next for us is a couple of things. One is we recognize that that risk is inherent to innovation. And I've talked a lot about things in the risk space that are outside of cybersecurity. And so it's not so much what's next is we're actively addressing those things. And then one of the risks that comes into into um, organizations more and more is what we see is this management gap mm -hmm. where management thinks one thing and technology thinks something else. And that communication gap creates cyber risk as well as others. And so we're doing a lot of strategy work. Is IT aligned with where the business is going? Um, and not just IT, but the the applications that are in the portfolio and those sorts of things. Is this is the technology department really serving the the stakeholders, the users, or is that managed service provider? So strategy has a role in the risk model, and then people are running on data. The most important thing in the mix is the data, mm -hmm. and so you're going to see us move into more strategy offerings into more data offerings as we move forward. But they're all tied back to the risk. And a business that's running appropriately, um, using the data to move forward, is managing risk and thinking about strategy. So it's a triangle that all comes together. That's great. That's great. Um, so how can people get in touch with you with GBQ if they have questions? They they want a, they want a written printed plan. <laughs> they print the, yeah, for your for your very own rent, uh, written printed plan, uh, your risk assessment. The easiest things to come to GBQ.com. Yeah. Uh, to to find me in the people directory, feel free to email me. And I was talking to a client earlier today that all my technology friends email, we never talk on the phone. And um, she was a CFO and she called me. So um, if you want to be my technology friend, D Davidson, D-D-A-V-I-D-S-O-N at gbq.com. And if you're going to be one of my financial or business friends, <laughs> feel free to call my cell phone. As Jeff said, I'm responsive to it. 614-402-5588. Or go out and crash LinkedIn and find me there and invite yourself to connect. Awesome. Any any final thoughts? We're recording this live and in person here at GBQ World Headquarters. So I appreciate your hospitality. But... Well, I appreciate it too. And, and again, I, I said it earlier, it's the only time I've ever been in a conference room with two attorneys. And uh, I'm much more comfortable and, and feel better about it than I ever imagined. But then it was a conversation, we're, we're, not a deposition. We're kinder, gentler attorneys. Yeah, there you go. Well, thank you uh, for joining us today, Doug. We really appreciate your time and the insights on this topic. Uh, that's all for today's episode. Thanks to our audience for listening, and we hope you join us again next time. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Doug. 
Thank you for listening to Champions and Challengers, produced by Bricker Graydon. Join Greg Listini and other Bricker Graydon attorneys for our next podcast covering the latest fintech-related legal topics. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not reflect the views of Bricker Graydon. None of the content included in this podcast is intended to be legal advice and does not create or imply an attorney-client relationship.